Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Flailing 34-year-old Bridget finally catches a break when she meets a nice guy and lands a much-needed job nannying a six-year-old Francis played by Steen Sealing, Ramona Edith Williams, but an unwanted pregnancy introduces an unwanted complication. To make matters worse, she clashes with an obstinate Francis and struggles to navigate a growing tension between Francis's moms amidst this tempestuous personal relationship, a reluctant friendship with Francis emerges and Bridget con- contends with the inevitable joys and shows of becoming part of someone else's family. And with that, I want to introduce to our audience the uh, director of this terrific film called St. Francis, and that is Alex Thompson. Alex, welcome to Film School Radio. What? Thanks for having me. This All is right. great. I'm so excited. Well, thank you for, for, for agreeing to come on. And um, it is such an, it's such an empathetic and heartfelt film, and it, is, it tackles so many uh, issues that I think people... American audiences and or audiences in general are just not used to seeing in films, and it does it in such a beautiful way. Tell me a little bit about this collaboration with Kelly O'Sullivan and how this evolved into what we know as St. Saint Francis. Yeah, well, um, well, Kelly and I have been together for about four years now. So when we were we were dating for had been dating for two years when when she started writing the script, and so uh, about ten pages in. I just remember her showing me what she'd been working on and I just thought it was incredible. And it was the, um, it was the bloodhound scene, the, what was the opening of the film before we, we shot that great monologue with uh, Bradley Grant Smith. And it just, it, from, from go, it was really just about communicating something authentic, trying to find something, something real in this story uh, of a nanny who's made the choice not to be a mother but who's having to sort of contend with being a surrogate mother for this for this little girl over the course of a summer. So it was very organic. I mean, it was really just like on the strength of the script, uh, I showed it to some producers who are good friends of mine who were, worked together on a lot of stuff, a cinematographer, and everyone. everyone's response was just so enthusiastic. It seemed, seemed like an obvious thing that we were going to just make this film as soon as possible. So... I think Kelly started writing in January, and we were shooting in July. You've been together for a while, it sounds like, what you were saying is uh, partners, collaborators. How much did she bounce dialogue off of you as you were as she was moving through the writing and the script? Was it in its final form when you kind of came into uh, to sort of your you know your your when you first saw it, or how did how did that sort of uh, take place? Yeah, I think that's a good question. She every few pages you know whether it's three four pages or 10 15 pages you know she she'd turn to me when i'm working and say hey would you when you get a chance would you look at these and tell me what you think and so i sort of watched it become this cumulative experience of like um you know sharing and uh, uh the dialogue really that sort of line by line look didn't come until the script was in its second draft okay. and that was be- and that was because there was 
this pressure to make it now. We'd had two table readings. We'd kind of gotten feedback from those. I'd by that point expressed probably exhaustive and annoying amounts of feedback. But we knew that if we were going to make it, we had to sort of pare down this, what was then a hundred and 170, 180 page script into something that we could shoot. So uh, we went line by line at that point. Uh, it was really tough, but luckily because we've been together for a while, we there's a lot of trust and there's a lot of honesty and there's there's really no like escaping one another. We can't like, we can't, we can't go, there's no going home to our loved ones and saying, God, you know, this director I'm working with said the most asinine thing today. Um, you know, we are those people for each other. So uh, it just, it had to get done. Well, one of the reasons I foc- I'm focusing on the dialogue so early in our conversation is because it is the backbone of the film. It is what it not only propels yeah. the story, but it gives you this tremendous insight into these people that we very quickly care about. And I think uh, one of the things that I was struck by watching the film was how quickly you're able to establish a very empathetic character and someone who is very relatable. So this this dialogue is part of that process. Um, And uh, so let's talk about more about this actual kind of plot line in in the film St. Francis. Her getting out of this dead-end job as a server, and there's a, there's a little incident just before she quits that I thought, again, sets this tone of expectations for herself and for her life, like what it, what it is that she should be doing by the, by the uh, metric of someone else or, some, or society right, in right. a way, right? And so that sort of puts her into this mode of this is when she gets the job as a nanny uh, and she meets Francis, who is... What would be the word you would use? Is precocious a word you would use to describe Francis? How how do you characterize this five year old? Yeah, I mean, five six year old, five year old. She was she was five when we cast her, and she was six when we shot. Okay. Um, so you know, by all intents and purposes, for all intents and purposes, she's definitely precocious. I would say, though, more than anything, she's just a real, very young person. You know, she's she's just uh, <laughs> she's just how you would how you are at that age. Yeah. Yeah, and na- naturally distrustful, I think, of the unmotivated outsider. I don't know. I, I think there were a few moments in the process when I kind of, like, wrapped my head around it as a sort of Western with this, like, old gun coming into this this town that's got a different, you know, a young sheriff. And I don't know. She's got to pass the hat at some point. Uh, but uh, I think that's a very apt description. She is a young person, and and, and you can see the the forms of her life moving forward pretty early on how she's going to be right yeah which in the way yeah. she in the way she interacts with not only with Bridget played by Kelly O'Sullivan but also with Maya and Annie the that sort of yeah. you, she's a yeah that's that's a great way to put it and so as Bridget begins to navigate this world of being a nanny uh, she's in a relationship and some things happen in the course of the relationship that that I I have rarely seen I, I'd say it if ever have I seen it in the sort of spectrum of experience of, of films that I've watched where you are dealing with a lot of 
women's and and relationship issues. I'm not. I'm trying to figure out a good way to put this, but I think you know what I'm driving at. This sort of spectrum of things that happen in relationships. How do we navigate sure. our way? So uh, is that am I am I getting yeah, to the yeah. point here? I'm not just sure. Yeah, yeah. I think well, something that Kelly and I really talked about a lot in leading up to the film, leading up to shooting, was just. It should all, we shouldn't be making any decisions based on what the expectations are of a story like this, you know, a story with a, with a woman in her thirties and a little girl or, you know, the kind of story where you've got an adult and a child and two shot walking down a street and like Cat Stevens is playing, you know, we don't want to, we don't want to, um, we should be making decisions based on what life is actually like. And so every relationship we have is sort of fraught with ambiguity and what Bridget's mother says at one point, you know, we should talk about it more often. Women yeah. would be less lonely. I, I hope that Frances learns that lesson too. You know, I kind of see her as having all the lessons of this film sort of wrapped up in one little person who you just hope it doesn't get spoiled, you know, yeah. as she, as she steps into the future. And I don't know, she's kind of like the next generation. Yeah, I think you're absolutely on point with that. She is a little Buddha of sorts, and um, and that's especially as we get near the end of the film. And I'm not going to say anything to give anything away, but just her her growth in the relationship that she has with Bridget, and then her understanding of the outside world. It is at that point when, going, looking back on my life. This is the first point in my life where I started to understand that there's something beyond myself. There's that mm, there, there's mm-hmm. an out, outside world to to begin to un, try to understand, and that's where we are in this film, I think, in a lot, of, especially at the end. Yeah, yeah. Well, for ninety minutes, we focused on one one child in the spectrum of a lot of adults and their relationships to one another. But in those final scenes, you see, you know, a a classroom full of children who all have their own summer stories right. and they're all comp all of their complex relationships. And you start to realize that, gosh, there's, there, there are more, more stories like this out there. Yeah. Let's talk about, uh, the performances in the film. Um, the, uh, the star of the film is Kelly O'Sullivan. She also wrote the script collaboration with you. And then, uh, and then the casting, uh, I mean, obvious, I think the obvious question is, that uh, casting Frances was incredibly important and kind of curious how you came upon her. Well, every role, every single role except for Frances was what's called sort of an offer role. We didn't audition any role except for Frances. We we held auditions for Jace, for for Bridget's boyfriend, but um, we ultimately gave the role to um, an actor, Max Lipschitz, who I had really... Uh, hoped for for the part and and luckily everybody agreed with me but but Ramona was the only real sort of discovery literally even down to like um the the male nurse at the at the clinic um all those roles were were friends of ours people people that we knew people we had seen in shows seen at work when we were I think we started the casting process in late April and maybe mid-April, and the the operative goal was if we don't find Francis by June 1st, we can't shoot in July. 
And that, that was the sort of crazy deadline that we set for ourselves. And luckily at PR casting where we, where we did the, uh, did the casting sessions, they brought in just 30 incredible uh, actors, incredible actors. And the youngest of the bunch was Ramona Edith Williams. And she was five years old. She had not done any narrative work. She had done these sort of wonderful improvised commercials up to that point. It was just clear that she, out of everyone that we saw, had the most sort of natural charm and charisma and, I guess for lack of a better word, realness. Um, she was just herself. And uh, she hadn't yet reached an age where she was being coached on how a, a little girl should should be or what it, what it looks like to be a precocious youngster on camera. Right. So she was just Ramona. And that was the most important thing for, for, for every bit of casting, you know, like Max is Max is Max because he brings a certain quality to that role. Kelly, the same, you know, the two parents in the scenes are um, actors that Kelly has enormous respect for. And I, I think they are sort of her film parents or her theater parents. So um, I think Ramona was just who, who Francis should be. Yeah, um, I th- I, she was terrific. I want to remind our listeners that we're speaking with Alex Thompson, and uh, this film, St. Francis, is available through Oscilloscope Laboratories. That's the distributor. And how can people see the film now? Well, yeah, there, you could pre-order the film on iTunes, but it, it won't be available until uh, May. Oscilloscope has done this incredible thing where right now we would have been in the thick of our national release, our, our wider national release. And so what they've done is they've, they've partnered with hundreds now um, theaters, local theaters, the places where you, uh, dear listeners, would have, would have watched St. Francis. Yeah. And so they've, they're now offering the film virtually. I would say look at the website of your local theater and there's a good chance that St. Francis is available for rental there. And what's nice about it is it's not like getting the film off of Amazon or Netflix. It actually benefits the theater in the same way that it would if you bought a ticket um, and went and sat in the seats. Um, and in another time, that's what you would do. But, so, um, so if I went to the, in, in Southern California, the Lemley Theater chain and went to their site, in all probability, I should be able to watch St. Francis. Yeah, yeah. And they're, they're all over. I mean, uh, my grandparents are, my grandmother's in San Francisco, and, and there are several theaters within that, the Bay Area that are doing it. So you can, you can get as specific as you possibly can with who you want to support and how you want to support it. But um, there are countless ways to see the film, okay. which, is, which is amazing. I will post that, those links um, at the website, filmschoolradio.com. So we'll, Great. listening Great. to the sound of this uh, conversation, you should be able to go to filmschoolradio.com. And you, sh- you have to go to filmschoolradio.com, let's, let's be honest. And, uh, and then you'll <laughs> be able to check out the link for it. Again, not only is um, Ramona... Wonderful. Kelly is, uh, Kelly O'Sullivan is uh, oh, yeah. terrific. And again, yeah, there is this, and I said it at the top of our interview, this empathy that you feel almost immediately 
with her. You're able to establish that, and she really is able to establish that. And uh, there isn't a false note in her performance. I really, I mean, everything she said, everything, the the way that she approached the different uh, characters in the film, and and their the way that they uh, bounced off of one another. Uh, I just, uh, I just absolutely fell in love with the, her ability to be able to be that person and to be Bridget and to be uh, to to really pull us into this. I would say inner world. She's not the most open person initially. Yeah. But then, as the as as things happen to her and and the people around her, we see that that progression in her in her character, her arc, if you will. Certainly. I mean, I think there's a misunderstanding that in order to have a sympathetic character, they've got to save the cat or kiss a baby or something within the first five minutes of the film. And I think you put your finger right on it, and that I think you just have to feel like you're not lying up there. Right. Um, right. And uh, and that, that goes a long way with an audience. I think people are a lot smarter than you give them credit for. Well, even even in her initial interview for the for the nanny position, right? She says yeah, three yeah. or four things in a row that would, in most people's minds, <laughs> disqualify her from from. one hundred percent. So the fact that she's and of course, yeah. <laughs> but she says she doesn't get the job, of course, at first. Yeah, that's uh, right. She's, well, she, she's not even the first choice. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. very natural. I don't think I I, I. I don't. I don't know if I have many friends who would just nail the job interview to be a man. No offense if if they're listening. <laughs> I, this is what I love about the indie film world, the fact that I'm, uh, I've been fortunate enough to be able to have these conversations with filmmakers who make these movies that uh, do not trade in the same sort of tropes and the same sort of swelling music and, you know, all the different, the, the, and the, the, you know, they write into the rescue in the last five minutes and all that kind of nonsense. Right. This is not that film. It is, it is such a rich experience. And, uh, uh, I know this is a very mixed feeling to bring this up, but on Rotten Tomatoes, which is kind of the bane and the the uh, a boon to some uh, filmmakers, it's 98% with over 50 reviews, and that's just a, a remarkable achievement in and of it. Says, yeah. says something about the film. I'm sorry. Yeah, um. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, no. It's been, I, we felt so lucky to have that kind of response. I mean, um I'm just, I I think it had everything to do with the goodwill that came out of uh, South by Southwest and all those, all those early reviewers who kind of gambled on covering us. I'm just so grateful. Well, it's a wonderful film and uh, my congratulations to you uh, on your direction and to Kelly O'Sullivan for her work in this film and the cast. It's a, it's a really, well, it's a wonderful cast and it's a wonderful film to watch. I will let them know you said that. (laughs) Well, I hope. Thank you, Alex. Again, uh, the film is St. Francis, and we've been talking with the director of the film, and that would be Alex Thompson. Anytime, I assume you're working on new stuff, anytime, come back and join us. I'd love to love to talk to you again. Oh, I would love that. I would love that. All Please, right. hold, hold me to it. <laughs> okay. Hold me to it. Thank you, Alex Thompson. We'll see you soon. Thank, thank you, Mike. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.